0: Hello, welcome to the Theological Touchpoints Podcast, I'm Julian. The focus for this episode is Touchpoints, at the intersection of biblical theology and everyday life. What motivates us to minister to the Church? Or to share the Gospel? Or help those who suffer? Or care for people's needs? Why do we try to do what God asks us to do? Why do we obey Scripture? Why do good works? The Bible has a lot to say about this, and God's people are often recognized by what they do as much, or more, as by what they believe. So what's the motivation for this kind of obedience? Let me ask you a question first. Yes or no, a Christian must do good works to be saved. Scripture answers this question with a clear no. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 say, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And the book of Romans makes it very clear that salvation comes by faith and not by works. In chapter 3, the apostle Paul says the righteousness of God comes on those who have faith in Christ, to all and on all who believe, all who have faith in Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified by his grace, by the grace of God, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through what Christ has done for us to make salvation possible. God set him forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. And this is key that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So how are we saved? How are we made just? How are we made righteous? Simple faith. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? of works? No, but by the law of faith. Here, saying that there's no room for boasting if salvation is by faith. And he goes on to say, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Romans 4 says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. There, Abraham's faith, his simple trust in God, being the reason he was saved. The reason God called him righteous is because of Abraham's simple faith in God. Must a Christian do good works to be saved? No, the only thing the Bible requires is for us to believe in the name of Christ and we can be saved. But let me ask you a similar question. Yes or no, a Christian must do good works. We answer the question, does a Christian have to do good works to be saved with an absolute no? But does a Christian need to do good works? And this time I'm going to answer the question with a yes. Yes, a Christian must do good works. Uh, This is not a contradiction. As we look at other portions of scripture, I have two in mind that we're going to look at. First Peter chapter one and also James that tell us uh, that works are expected for the believer. 1 Peter 1 verse 15 says that as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. God has called us. He has saved us. God himself is holy. And the command comes to us then to be holy. As God is holy, you also be holy. Notice the progression of the gospel in this. He begins by saying God has called us implying that those hearing this have already experienced salvation. God has called them. He has saved them. He has called them out of the world, brought them into relationship with him, made them righteous through Christ. It says, God has called you. This is something that has already happened to you. And now as he who called you in salvation is holy, you also be holy. And this gives us the beginnings of a framework to understand how this works. God has saved us. Salvation comes by what God has done for us. We receive it by faith, but now there is an expectation. As he who called you is holy, you be holy. Note that Peter gives this as a command. He's not suggesting that holiness might be a good idea. He, by the Holy Spirit, commands believers to be holy. Holiness is expected behavior for all Christians. Those who are gods will want to be like him, and that means being holy. It's true that our journey from now until eternity will be marked by failures, and yes, sometimes sins. We will often not be holy, as we should be. But this does not negate the force of this command to be holy holy, Peter's command is personal, pertinent, and present. We are, even now, to be about the business of holiness. Another text that connects works, holiness, obedience uh, to faith is James chapter 2. And this is a text that is sometimes misunderstood and sometimes thought to teach that we must do good works in order to be saved. If that is what this text says it stands in direct contradiction to Ephesians 2. Uh, We know God cannot contradict himself. God cannot deny himself. All of scripture, when properly understood, will harmonize. And I think we can understand this even from what is here in James chapter 2. um, understand this in the context of works being an outworking of true faith. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect, made complete, or perhaps shown to be genuine. Verse 23 follows in this thought. Scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And even in this, we see the same progression of the gospel. Abraham's belief in God was accounted to him for righteousness. God considered Abraham righteous because abraham believed what god had said but what's the proof that his faith was genuine his good works his obedience to god's commands and thus it says in verse 23 a scripture was fulfilled abraham in his obedience to god validated what was said about him the genuineness of Abraham's faith was seen in the fact that he willingly obeyed God, no matter what he was asked to do. So must a Christian do good works? Yes, not as the the means of salvation, not as the beginning of salvation, not not as the root, uh, but as the fruit, as that which results when genuine faith, when true faith, is present. So a Christian's motive. For obeying God is not to earn God's love, but rather he is motivated to obey God because he has God's love. God saved us because of his great love with which he loved us, not because of our great goodness that drew him to us. We contribute nothing to our salvation. We come to God through faith in Christ, fully dependent on what he has done for us. Our perceived goodness doesn't add one iota to our standing before God. You might say, wait a minute, this is an Anabaptist podcast and this sounds like Protestant Reformed theology. To that, I would say two things. First, while the going Protestant definition of the gospel includes salvation by grace alone, they often neglect the biblical imperatives that demand we live holy lives. Anabaptist theology does not depart from Protestant theology at grace alone. The Bible teaches salvation is accomplished by grace alone. By grace, through faith, made possible by the grace of God, received personally through faith. Anabaptist theology doesn't depart from Protestant theology at grace alone. We believe salvation is by grace alone. Where we part is on whether or not a Christian must do good works. Biblically, we understand that Christians will be known not just for their doctrine, but also for their good works done in obedience to God's word. The second thing I would say is that it really doesn't matter what Anabaptists believe, or Protestants believe, or Catholics, or any other segment of the spectrum of Christianity. What matters is whether or not it's what the Bible teaches. And the Bible is quite clear that salvation cannot come by human goodness, but only by God's grace. So are we justified by our works? No. Are we justified by some good works and God makes up the difference? No. Justification, salvation, is only possible through Christ when he's done for us. We receive his righteousness when we put our faith in him. But how does a Christian respond to God's amazing grace? true Christian will respond by faithful obedience to God's commands, by loving, worshipful works. Now, I want to look at several other texts in the New Testament that talk about the role of obedience for the Christian under several headings. So, obedience is our calling, obedience is our duty, obedience shows who we are, obedience demonstrates our love for God, and obedience is worship. So, first, obedience is our calling. For this, we're going to look at Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Paul here describing the way of life of the Gentile, the one who is cut off from God, who has lived his entire life in ignorance of God. He says Christians must not walk this way. You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And the Apostle Paul goes on to describe what true righteousness and holiness looks like in the rest of chapter 4, describing, and really the rest of the book, describing what the holy life looks like. One of the first words in verse 17 is, therefore. Therefore points back to verse 1 of chapter 4, which tells us we are to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. We were called to the gospel, called to relationship with God through Christ. Now there's an expectation that we will walk, that we will live differently. Who were we before Christ? Those with futile minds, darkened understanding, being alienated from God, we're ignorant and blind to God. And describes the Gentiles here as being those who are past feeling and have given themselves to lewdness, uncleanness, and greediness. The same description applies to us. He says, you have not so learned Christ. This is not who Christ is. Christ is not known by his sin. Christ is known by his holiness. And so comes the command to us to follow Christ, to put off the old man, and be renewed and put on the new man, the godly man, the righteous and holy man. To be righteous in mind, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and be righteous in action, um, that you put on the new man, and that what people see is different. And because we are Christians, because we have been saved, we are called to live for God and not ourselves. We are called to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. So, obedience is our calling. Secondly, obedience is our duty. Romans 6 describes this using the example of slavery. We were once slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness. This text very clearly negates any teaching that grace frees us to live in sin. Rather, the apostle says, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness, he says, who we serve reveals to whom we belong. If we present our bodies as slaves to sin, we will receive what is the end of sin, and that is death, sin leading to death. But if we present our bodies as slaves of righteousness, we will receive the end of righteousness, and that is eternal life. We've been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. And he says in verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. We will serve something or someone. Before we were saved, we were slaves to sin, bound to serve it. But since Christ has redeemed us, we are slaves to righteousness, bound to obedience. Notice again, just like Peter, this isn't just a good idea. Being a slave to righteousness is not just the goal of a Christian, it is the definition of a Christian. If we are Christ's, we must give ourselves to Him in obedience. We are bound to Him and must obey. Obedience is our duty. Third, obedience shows who we are. Ephesians 2 talks about us being made alive. John 3 talks about us being born again. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about us being a new creation. The old things have passed away, and all things have become new. There's been a nature change in those who have come to faith in Christ. Salvation is more than just a profession we make, but it's a transformation. Christians have a new nature Christianity isn't just a try harder religion where we put our faith in Christ and then do the best we can to just live a little better. Godliness results from a changed nature. The one who has been made new lives differently, and we think about this in terms of the contrast that Scripture sets up between those who are spiritually alive and those who are spiritually dead. What good thing can a dead person do? What work? Can a dead person do? Nothing. There's no capability in a dead person to produce anything good. But Christians have been made alive, born again. We are not who we used to be. And how do we know that that's true? The way we live is different than the way we used to live. A true Christian, one who has been made alive by the Holy Spirit, We'll live a life of holiness. We'll live a life of good works. Obedience shows who we are. Fourth, obedience demonstrates our love for God. Going back to Ephesians, this time looking at Ephesians chapter 5. It tells us we must be imitators of God as dear children. And this imagery is just so perfect. As we think of a boy wanting nothing more than to be just like dad. We are to be imitators of God, mimickers of God, copiers of God. We see God do something and we want to do the same thing. The only thing we desire is to be just like him. We love him and so we want to be like him. To turn that around, to say you love him and not desire to be like him is really to say you don't love him. True love for God is borne out in loving obedience to Him. And this idea of, of children uh, shows up in First Peter, and we're not going to spend much time there because we already looked at this text earlier, but First Peter chapter 1, the verse before verse 15, which we read earlier, verse 14, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Obedient children, following their father, wanting to obey him faithfully, wanting to do what he does, wanting to be who he is, wanting to please him, wanting to serve him. That's the attitude of the Christian. And then looking over at John 14, verse 15, obedience demonstrates our love for God. And this is perhaps one of the more well-known verses of the New Testament. It's important for our understanding here. Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commandments. A very simple, and not difficult to understand what these words mean, but very difficult to follow through on. Jesus says the expectation for those who love him is that they keep his commands. And We could launch into a bunny trail here, and I don't want to take too much time with this, but the question of what what are jesus's commands are they just the red letters are they just the gospels are they the new testament are they all of scripture and we understand all of scripture is written by inspiration of god god has spoken all of it all 66 books that we have that are a part of the christian canon of scripture are god speaking obedience to christ's commands is far more than just obedience to the sermon on the mount it includes those as a very clear part of Christ's expectation for his church. But all of the New Testament and the command from Peter in 1 Peter and the command from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and the command from James in his letter all come with the authority of Christ. They were called by him to testify of him and to teach others what he himself had taught. Obedience to Christ's commands is obedience to Scripture. True love for Christ is born out in obedience to Christ's commands, which means obedience to Scripture, which means disregarding or rejecting even a portion of Scripture is disregarding or rejecting a portion of what Christ has asked us to do. But We need all of Scripture, and we need to faithfully obey it, because that's what Christ has asked us to do. And because if we love Him, we will want to do what He said. We'll want to keep His commandments. We'll want to obey Him. And Christ lays out that principle here in John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so obedience follows relationship. Christ says, if you love me, you will do what I say. Professing love for God and then living for myself is not true love. Obedience to God's commands is a perfectly good way to demonstrate our love for him. And that's what Christ asked us to do. So the Bible expects that Christians, God's people, will obey his word. And what does that look like for us? As we think about the various aspects of our lives, uh, we should ask, why do we do what we do? When we serve others, when we sacrifice our resources, our time, our energy, our comforts, what drives us to do this? Can we answer that our love for others is compelled by our experience of Christ's love for us? Our love for others is motivated by Christ's command to love. Are we serving faithfully? Or maybe you need to ask yourself, what am I doing? Am I obeying God? Am I walking worthy of the gospel? I hope you can answer that you are. God is not glorified by self-righteous, self-pleasing, self-satisfying, cheap righteousness done by those who think they can work their way to him. If that describes you, I can only say that your view of God is not great enough. He is much too pure, much too good, much too holy to see our cheap efforts as good. In his love, he has made perfection possible, even for sinners, available through the blood of Christ. The person who comes to the end of himself and trusts fully in Christ can know he has the pleasure of God, that he stands justified before God, at peace with him, in full fellowship and relationship with him. Our confidence is not in what we do. Our confidence is what God has done for us. And the person who has experienced this, experienced the reality of the gospel, has both the privilege and the duty of submitting himself to Christ's lordship. So, the great motivator of Christian obedience is not self-gratification, is not self-righteousness, but is worship. When we comprehend God's great love for us, our only response is to give ourselves fully to Him. Our calling is to serve God faithfully, to obey Him diligently. We work to please God. So, must a Christian do good works? Absolutely. The only possible thing, the only reasonable thing, to borrow the language of Romans 12, is to give ourselves in willing service to Him. The Theological Touchpoints Podcast is a production of Sword and Trumpet Ministries. If you would like to support this podcast, visit swordandtrumpet.org slash podcast or theologicaltouchpoints.com slash podcast. If you have thoughts or questions, you can contact us at podcast at theologicaltouchpoints.com. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.